All right, welcome back to another Crypto Daily 3 at 3. So today we have uh, something a little bit different, something fun for uh, the Friday. Um, so uh, I noticed that over the last two weeks, uh, two different great research firms in Delphi Digital and Circle Research have put out their quarter two data recaps. And for those of you who haven't seen them before, these are incredibly well-researched, comprehensive kind of trend analysis, price analysis, just a huge amount of uh, really good information um, that, that comes out quarterly, obviously. And, uh, and so between that and just the regular now weekly uh, email newsletters from Coinmetrics, I thought it'd be fun to actually dig in and sort of do a tail of the tape for last quarter. Um, and so I guess just one caveat before we dive in. So I'm not a data guy. I'm a narrative person. Um, so I think in terms of kind of, uh, you know, sentiment and feeling and uh, you know, gut level uh, acuity and things like that. Um, but because of that, I actually appreciate data even more um, because I always want to understand, does the data support the narratives that I'm seeing? Does it uh, does it suggest that I'm looking at things the wrong way? So I love staying close with what uh, really good data teams are doing. So that's kind of the, the precedent is that this is not my analysis. This is me um, curating and sharing what I've seen, but it, uh, it largely kind of uh, reflects, I think, what I've seen from a more narrative perspective as well. Um, so let's Let's dive in. So uh, let's start with what I think everyone always wants to, to think about or, or, or hear about first, which is just performance, right? Price performance over the last quarter. What's been the story? And I, I think it's pretty clear, um, and this is Delphi Digital here, that it's been the story of large caps, right? This is, you know, it's almost become a meme at this point of people just waiting for uh, alt season to show back up. Um, <laughs> whether it ever will or not, I think is a whole different discussion. However, uh, what's clear is that, you know, you can see that, uh, uh, large caps, you know, with Bitcoin in the lead, way overperformed everything else. Um, there's just no other real price story aside from that, I think, uh, this quarter. Um, what about more kind of network activity, right? Uh, so, you know, this is the quarter that I think a lot of people felt like we turned from kind of more of a bear market into something that's the start of a new bull phase. And uh, that seems to be reflected in some of this data, right? So you have, um, this is from uh, Circle Research, you have an uptick in hash rate and total miner revenue uh, on both Bitcoin and Ethereum. Right. So uh, in Bitcoin, there's a 32% change hash rate quarter over quarter. In Ethereum, it's a 19% uh, change in hash rate quarter over quarter. And both are up way over 100% on the year. Um, you have, if you dig into Bitcoin, the network activity even more closely. And again, this is from Circle. Uh, just again, kind of uh, by every metric, things are increasing. Daily active addresses are up 26%. Uh, uh, <clears throat> daily transaction count is up 17%. And this is quarter over quarter. Um, average daily value transacted, I think this is a big one, is up over 106% quarter over quarter. So that's really interesting stuff, right? Uh, just it's clearly that it's not just the hash rate, there's kind of more uh, usage and, and activity as well. Um, a note that I thought was really interesting from Coinmetrics, Bitcoin addresses holding at least $1 are rapidly approaching an all-time high. It peaked in January of 2018, as pretty much everything did, uh, and uh, and it's up almost um, five, over 5 million uh, unique addresses from the beginning of this year, uh, the beginning of 2019. So again, just showing the kind of larger mega trend of growth in activity in the Bitcoin network. 
Um, the Ethereum network is also showing some uh, some some good growth kind of quarter over quarter. It's interesting, though, I think one of the things to note is that um, there are some of the some of these numbers are down year over year. Right. So if you look at average daily transaction count by month, uh, it's up quarter over quarter uh, by almost 44 percent, but down two percent year over year. I think part of that reflects that just there's a, a lot of still kind of. Uh, of the end of the ICO activity in Q2 of last year. Um, there are a lot of more emphasis on dApps, uh, as we'll talk about in a little bit. But in general, you know, when, you're, when you look at this year and whether we're kind of shifting into a better phase, quarter over quarter Ethereum network is also growing. Um, so let's move into kind of more na narrative activity, actually. Um, uh, so one of the things that I've said a lot, if you've watched this, um, if you've watched the the Crypto Daily three at three before, is that w one of the things that I'm seeing most in kind of narrative change is that Bitcoin is moving not just from kind of a, a generic store of value narrative. Um, it's becoming something that's more of an uncorrelated or non-correlated asset, uh, a flight to safety asset, just a hedge against kind of larger macro conditions. I think this is the story of right now um, is you're seeing the financial markets as they watch kind of this inexorable march towards MMT and money printing and Fed rate cuts and all this sort of stuff. Uh, Bitcoin looks like a really interesting countervailing force. Um, the Delphi Digital guys are showing that that uh, is kind of showing up in the the numbers as well, right? This uncorrelated asset idea is not just a narrative, it's also bearing out, which obviously gives strength to the narrative. Um, they also pointed out kind of that the part of the support for this and why it's growing stronger as a narrative is uh, what's going on in the larger economy, including uh, the idea of, or the, the potential of Fed rate cuts. Um, so obviously this just happened this week, uh, Fed cut rates for the first time since, uh, since Bitcoin was born, since 2008, basically, um, which kind of, you know, as a lot of people have pointed out, uh, it seems like a really good bullish scenario for Bitcoin growth for anyone who's kind of looking for something to, um, to counter that type of uh, monetary policy. Um, I think the one one other thing that I wanted to share that was interesting is that from kind of a narrative strength perspective, I think that a lot of 2018, a lot of the story of 2018 was um, kind of uh, market oriented, traditional financially oriented Bitcoin bulls talking to their peers, uh, talking to mainstream institutions, mainstream financial firms, and telling them the story of Bitcoin and telling them this non-correlated asset story, telling them the get off zero story, um, and so on and so forth. And I think that you're seeing a little bit of that show up now in terms of just how much emphasis Bitcoin has, even relative to the field. So uh, I think that the tide uh, joined forces with Delphi Digital to do a little bit of sentiment analysis as well. And they showed that not only is Bitcoin uh, market cap dominance increasing, so is the share of uh, kind of the conversations on crypto Twitter that are actually Bitcoin Twitter. Um, it's just a small thing, but I think is interesting. Again, reinforcing this idea of uh, the narrative strength of Bitcoin uh, comparative to other crypto assets. Um, still, obviously, there is... Uh, Oh yeah, sorry. I guess we'll do one more thing on the the, the store of value idea. And for readers who are listening, I'm sorry. This one is definitely better, uh, better, better seen than I think just heard. I'm trying to do my best to to kind of share the graphs, but uh, I'll link obviously to the video for you. Um, the amount of untouched uh, Bitcoin untouched for at least five years is at an all time high. Um, this comes from Coin Metrics, and again, this is one more one more kind of feather in the cap of the. Uh, 
the kind of the store of value narrative and, and what that might be even kind of large sized up into this this hedge against global uh, global kind of spending conditions. Um, OK, but let's go back to uh, Ethereum, right? Because we talked a lot about Bitcoin and what the, the state of the Bitcoin narrative and the state of the Bitcoin network is. But what about the state of the Ethereum network? Obviously, we saw activity uh, continues to grow, but there's an interesting question about where that activity is. Um, you know, a, it was really only a year ago that the narrative of decentralized finance and DeFi started to come out. I think I actually just saw a tweet uh, maybe today that was a, a, a kind of a, a screen share of a group chat where some of the folks from like Dharma were actually debating, you know, should they call this new thing DeFi? Should they call it whatever? Um, is Dharma and a bunch of other companies. And uh, and so that obviously has become a, at the center of, of the Ethereum narrative over the last year. Um, but back, you know, a year ago, it was still all dApps, right? And so it was really interesting. I thought that uh, Circle pointed out that Ethereum dApps, uh, you know, had it was down 29% quarter over quarter. Um, the, the EOS uh, dApps was down 58% quarter over quarter. There's clearly a shift away from uh, people spending their time on dApps, frankly. Um, for me, I will say that I don't think that this damns the idea of decentralized applications. I think we saw an explosion of interest in decentralizing everything and tokenizing everything. And this, to me, is kind of a, a reflective of both, one, a reasonable retrace of what things actually need to be decentralized and in what ways, and just a, a kind of a, a growing sophistication and how builders are thinking about the market. But it also reflects, I think, uh, the growth of interest in other other places to spend your time, particularly decentralized finance. So um, this is another chart from Circle, uh, decentralized lending performance soars. So a few of the, the quick hits, 114 million in outst loans outstanding as of June 30th, 279 million of loans originated year to date as of July 16th, uh, 52,000 loans originated year to date, 379% um, weighted average collateral ratio. Um, again, there's a whole interesting conversation going on right now about to what extent that over collateralization uh, impacts how many or rather how few people can participate in DeFi um, with people on one side saying it's one side saying it's very limiting while people on the other side kind of point out that it's just part of the sequence and, and part of the phase. But it's still interesting to see there's clearly a, a huge amount of activity. Um, and I don't have another I don't have a chart here. But one thing that was um, kind of clear in both uh, both I think Delphi's research and in Circle's research is that although uh, Maker and Dai have really led the charge of this as more players come in their total share of the kind of the DeFi market is declining. Still on the topic of DAI, Coinmetrics uh, pointed out in a, in a newsletter a couple weeks ago that um, Coinbase, so just at the end of last month, at the end of July, Coinbase added a, a lesson on their earn platform. Um, and uh, it, it allowed users to earn $14 worth of DAI. And uh, DAI use, user activity has gone way up. Um, so there's something, a growth in something like 14,000 addresses that hold the die balance uh, since then. And there were only 38,000 to start. So, you know, there's a huge jump, obviously. Um, so really, really interesting stuff. Still clearly a ton of interest in DeFi. Um, but let's talk about the other kind of area that has been a lot of the story of this year which is exchange tokens and IEOs. So when Binance, um, you know, and it's BNB token were one of the best performers of uh, the bear market, uh, all the other exchanges took notice, right? It seemed like such an interesting piece of financial engineering and created such a new opportunity that um, obviously there, there's going to be kind of a copycat effect. Uh, Circle points out that exchange token performance um, hasn't necessarily worked quite as well for everyone else. Um, the performance has, you know, there were a ton of returns kind of in Q2 
of this year. Uh, in Q2, uh, it, not so much. So exchange tokens are a phenomenon still, but how they're playing out is a little bit less certain. Um, but what about IEOs? So IEOs are kind of the other big piece of this with uh, initial exchange offerings, where basically you've got an ICO, but entirely within the context and confines of one exchange community who provides that liquidity and that bounce and whatever at the end. Um, there's been a huge amount of conversation about this, but I think it's cool that we're finally getting some numbers. So uh, if you look at the returns of the largest IEOs, you have uh, Leo, which is actually, that's uh, uh, that's still up over its um, current price, uh, but pretty much everything else, uh, or sorry, that's current price is up over its IEO price, pretty much everything else is down, um, which is interesting, at least uh, in terms of the big guys. Then you also saw, uh, I guess, a, a maybe a week ago, um, or could have been this week, I can't even keep track anymore, but Larry Cermak from The Block also did kind of an analysis of IEOs, um, and he pointed out that one of the challenges is that there's they're kind of like the last pump and dump game in, in town, or at least one of the last clear ones. And uh, and so he says, but because most of the investors buy the tokens just to sell them for a higher price a few months later, the price is never sustained. About 75% of projects have lost 50% of value since their all-time high, and 39% of projects lost more than 75% of value since their all-time high. So I think what's interesting about kind of where IEOs are now, um, just not, not even from a kind of a, a judgment perspective, is that to the extent that they are going to be a, a good tool for uh, token projects to distribute tokens, to build community, to get their network out there. Um, I think almost all of them are going to have to deal with some amount of pop followed by a real valley where the people who don't care about the project kind of dump them and uh, and then see if they can recover. You know, I, I, we haven't seen a full cycle of that yet, but that's kind of what I'm interested in is to the extent that IEOs are a, a, a useful part of the, the toolkit for more than just getting kind of a big pool of money fast, um, that's that's what I think we're going to need to see. So uh, anyways, interesting stuff, of course, from uh, Larry. Now let's go to like regular, a little bit of regulatory action. So um, a lot of, you know, one of the things you'll notice I haven't talked about at all is the uh, is kind of Libra and the impact of Libra on on the larger crypto markets. Um, the reason for that is so all, all of these research reports, these Q2 reports are touching on Libra, but there's not a ton of numbers yet to go with it, right? And the whole point of this particular conversation is uh, kind of having day to day. And so, um, so I, I didn't mention anything about Libra, but there have been a couple of interesting things from a regulatory perspective that have uh, have kind of there's some numbers that we can see impact a little bit. So. Um, there's kind of an interesting phenomenon going on, which I've called de-Americanization uh, on Twitter before. And it's this idea that regulatory uncertainty or regulatory pressure is causing uh, a number of different types of actors in the system, including Circle, Binance, Bittrex, uh, and BitMEX to kind of all leave the US. Although BitMEX is, you know, theoretically, it's never kind of been available for um, US customers, or it hasn't for a while. Well, on July nineteenth, uh, the CF it was it was uh, broke. The story broke that the CFTC was conducting a probe in Bitmex, um, and uh, CoinMetrics actually tracked the immediate outflows of uh, of of money from Bitmex when that was announced. And basically, the 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 tail of the tape here is that you know there there has a, been a, a huge amount of uh, outflow, one hundred and forty five million dollars. However, it's stabilized at this point, so it it really was uh, a, a quick pop when that happened for the kind of the first six or seven days, first week after uh, after that that 
that news broke um, and has stabled out since. But anyways, it's interesting to start to see uh, the actual implication and numbers of some of this regulatory action. Um, now I'll go through just a kind of a few kind of notable one slide things that I saw that I thought were interesting. Um, Delphi Digital pointed out that on the venture side of things, uh, kind of the deal count is down, the amount invested is way down, um, it's, which is which is interesting, and at least year over year. So it's up slightly uh, quarter from Q2 to Q1. Um, but definitely down significantly uh, in terms of uh, in terms of uh, looking looking back into to 2018 across kind of all the quarters, and so um, what might be going on? I think there's there's a bunch of different things. Uh, one is that you know, and this is all anecdotal. This is my I guess my analysis a little bit. You know, there's there's fewer DApps that are that people are getting excited about, and there's more um, more to the to the extent that there is kind of capital being invested, uh, I think you're seeing it go into core infrastructure or, and we'll move ahead a slide, kind of this, this new set of emerging smart contracts. So base layer platforms that are going directly after <clears throat> existing projects like Ethereum, right? So you saw Algorand uh, pop this year. You saw Cosmos. Um, Tezos has been kind of quietly growing. Uh, you just have a, a lot of these kind of base layer uh, projects which are attracting uh, capital interest from investors, and so you know maybe to some extent that um, the venture capital deal flow being down and the total dollars being down is that more of the money is going into their, what's what's inherently a smaller pool of projects. But anyways, I think it's a notable, interesting thing to to keep an eye on. Um, uh, the having. Let's, uh, let's maybe we'll end on this one. So having skepticism. So the Bitcoin halving is in less than 300 days. Uh, if you spend any time on Bitcoin Twitter, on crypto Twitter, you see this is uh, coming up all the time. So Circle did a little bit of uh, of research, kind of about looking at how. Uh, the the having you know the first having and second having compared and uh, and what it's likely to look like in the um, in the third having and their conclusion is is kind of not so much a conclusion they're just arguing that it's uh, you know history doesn't necessarily suggest for the future um, and they're showing that also that kind of the the farther away the the impacts are uh, from kind of initial block rewards. Basically, the more the, the block rewards have declined by the time a halving happens, the the less likely it is to make a huge impact. But I wanted to point this out because I, I'm not just seeing it in kind of uh, discussed in these research reports. I'm also starting to see an active debate and a narrative on uh, on Twitter, right? So uh, Joe uh, Weisenthal from Bloomberg today, here's a hot take that will piss off a lot of Bitcoiners. The halving is completely irrelevant as a price driver. You can't simultaneously believe that markets are smart and efficient and also believe that a literally everyone can see coming at the same time actually matter. To the extent that Bitcoin rallies ha may have, to some extent, been associated with periods where the block reward was cut in half is almost certainly specious. If everyone sees the same thing, then it's already baked in. So you have that. But then you also saw on July 21st, uh, a really, you know, at least well-researched, well-written um, kind of argument called the myth of cryptocurrency halving events, a deeper analysis. So this is from Strix Leviathan. Um, and as always, I'll, I'll link to these via uh, Masari link board. Um, basically, these guys, their key takeaway, we found no evidence that cryptocurrency assets experiencing a halving event outperform the broader market in the months leading up to and following a reduction in their minor rewards. Um, so again, they're kind of on this halfings don't matter kind of perspective. Um, but 
there is uh, I, I wanted to leave you with this uh, fun fun tweet from from Murad. Um, literally, no one believes that the Bitcoin market is smart or efficient. So he's uh, he's reflecting uh, Joe, and he goes on to talk a little bit about why you know there's a lot of people who don't understand the halving yet. That that's the new kind of price pressure that might come in. Um, but I just thought that it's a, a pretty pretty excellent quote. Literally, no one believes that the Bitcoin market is smart or efficient. Um, so there you have it, Q2 data extravaganza. Um, let me know. Uh, in comments or tweet at me at NLW. What you thought of this? Uh, is this something you'd like to see more of? You know, I mean, there's so many awesome data sources out there uh, that we can we can do this more often if, if you'd like. Um, and so, so yeah, so let me know if it was a valuable summary to have kind of a, a quick hits. And for now, that's it. That's me signing off for the week. I will see you next week. Have a great weekend, everyone. And uh, yeah, talk to you Monday.